Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. It's February and we're back to our twice a week schedule of podcasts. They're coming out every Tuesday and Friday now. And today we have tips from a master rosarian on selecting and planting roses. And I want you to listen to this before you go out to buy your roses, because what you'll hear just might change your mind about where to shop for rose plants in late winter and early spring. Hey, are you planting a single variety bare root fruit tree? Did you remember to cut it back by half after planting? We'll tell you why that's necessary in a backyard garden. And the plant of the week is one that's popular throughout the country. It's holly, and holly is putting on quite the show right now. It's episode 73 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. It's rose planting time as the season progresses, the winter season progresses here in California. We've already started seeing roses appearing in nurseries, and you're going to start seeing more bare root roses appearing at a nursery near you, wherever you may appear as February and March come along. What's the best way to plant a rose? Should you use special soil? Do you have to dig a really deep hole? How do you do it? We're talking with Charlotte Owendike. She's a master rosarian with the Sierra Foothills Rose Society here in Northern California. Charlotte, let's talk a little bit about uh, bringing that rose home from the store. Now, a lot of people, it, it depends where they buy their roses. Some nurseries will pot up their roses and sell them that way. If you go and buy roses, though, at a mass marketer, chances are they're tightly wrapped in plastic at the big box stores. Let's talk about that first. If you pick out roses from a big box store and you take them home and they're basically a stick wrapped in plastic, how do you prepare it for planting? We have another name for that plastic bag. We call them body bags. <laughs> um, what they've done is, and a lot of times you get a, they're at a great price. However, we found that they are problematic. One, they're usually not the best grade of roses. Normally, we recommend you get grade one because you have more success. They're, they're have more vigor. They're it's going to be a better rose all around. The ones in the body bags, they're not grade one quality. They have to trim the roots significantly to get them in those body bags. And the roots are what contain the food for the plant to break dormancy. And so it, they, it doesn't have as much food available. Secondly, many of the roses and body bags, they have a waxy covering on the canes that you see, which have also been trimmed down quite a bit. They put that waxy covering on them so they... So the plant doesn't dehydrate as much. You don't know how long this, these plants take to transport, how long they've been stored, and where what kind of a treatment they've had. So consequently, that's why they put wax on them. But we've tried here, and we tried growing them, and the, uh, you can't. It's hard to get the wax scraped on it. There's no way you can really get it off. And the problem is, at least we found that the sun will actually intensifies the sun and it, it sometimes will burn the outside epidermis of the cane and then 
it, it, that's another hit to the cane. So it, we don't recommend that you buy body bags. N- nice try, Charlotte. But unfortunately, <laughs> um, here on the Garden Basics program, people are going to buy quantities. And, oh, uh, and and sometimes when you're starting a garden, you're going to buy a lot of roses. And well, the best place okay. to buy roses cheaply is at a big box store. Well, I've seen some. My brother just called me up and he said, guess what I found? He found uh, an older rose, which he really loves because he likes the fragrance of that particular rose. It was for like $10. It was in a pot. It looked fabulous. There are some great buys on some of these uh, roses. If you can get that, you're much better off than getting a body bag. Okay, but let's let's talk strategies for uh, resuscitating <laughs> that body bag rose first because people have successfully planted those over the years. And I would think uh, water is a necessary ingredient for that rose before you plant it, at least to free it up, get it in some water. Well, you can say that for bare root roses and body bag roses, um, dehydration is a major issue. When they uh, harvest uh, all the roses that we eventually get to purchase and produce in our yard, they store them in in a uh, climate-controlled, very cool um, places like apple storage, and they get dehydrated. They try to keep it, uh, you know, as, as humidity at certain levels, but you know, over time, if it's been in there fairly long, it has more issues. So what we do is you take a, a pail of water and maybe add a drop or two of bleach so you don't have to worry about anything growing in that water while you're soaking the roots. I have uh, put the entire plant and soaked it up to its neck, if not a little bit more, and so it gets fully hydrated. And, and how so, long will you leave it in the water? Oh, a, min- a minimum 24 hours. Um, if you do it in at this, and two days, three days, but I don't like to go too long. Uh, from that point, I like to put them in a, in a five-gallon pot because I want to baby it at this point. I don't want to put it out in the full sun because I like to put it in a pot so it, it gets some a little bit of limited shade, I can control its environment more. And then I will walk by and I will make sure it has a sufficient amount of water. If it's struggling, sometimes we do a thing, we uh, we sometimes wrap it, I'll put another a pot around it that doesn't have a bottom to it. And I'll put um, like peat moss around the canes to help and continue to hydrate it. And sometimes if I if a plant is refusing to break dormancy, that will help. These are little tricks and uh, that we've used in the past if we have problems. I would think that to uh, remove that uh, plant from the water after 24 hours or so, it should immediately be planted. Um, in a pot, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to plant yes. it in a pot first. I like planting it in a pot first because that way I can control. That way I know it's growing and it's growing well. I don't, all the plants that I have, even the ones if I buy a peat pot plant that's uh, that I bought at a nursery right now, it's a stick in a peat pot. I wait till it has its first bloom. I know it's got good roots at that time. And then because a pot, the soil's warmer than the ground. When it's put out its first flower, I dig the hole in its permanent location, and then I plant it. 
Wow. So you sound like you're looking for a little rose insurance there. You plant it in oh. a probably a good size container and then you wait to make sure that what blooms is what was on the picture when you bought it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that does happen. We go, this is, you know, uh, I bought it, Julia Child, and it's a red rose. I don't want this red rose. I don't know what it is. I don't want it. So, yes, that's, that, as you say, that's insurance because that things like that do happen. Now, remember, folks, Charlotte is a rosarian. <clears throat> for for the rest of us, <laughs> they may want to just they may want to just stick it in the ground and hope for the best. But yeah. I like the, I like the idea of putting it in a good sized pot first. What sort of soil do you put in that pot? Any good potting soil. A good potting soil works. Sometimes I put I you know in all potting soils that you can buy at anywhere they have a built in fertilizer in it, so it has everything what the plant needs. Let's say you're planting the rose in the ground. Would you use the native soil or would you dig that soil out and use a special soil? Ah, I I dig that soil out. I usually, if I, uh, when I dig a hole, I usually do about 18 inches and 12 inches deep, 18 inches wide. And then I mix it with some compost or some amendments because I want maybe a third of that soil to be organic or compost. And the rest of it's the native soil. Yes. All right. That's a good tactic for many reasons, not the least of which is the fact if you take out native soil, which is usually a heavier clay and doesn't drain as quickly, and use a really nice premium potted soil instead in that hole, the water from the surrounding soil is going to flow into that area. And basically, you've created an underground bucket full of water. Yeah. You have a pot in your soil, because it's the soil that they, and the other thing, I like to make sure that I don't have nice, neat sides to my hole. I wanted a little bit of rough, because I want I want the the roots to go out. That's just the way I am. I'm a kind of a sloppy well, digger. You know, that's okay. I mean, especially, you know, score the sides of that hole in, yes. in order to rough it up a bit to give the roots some place to travel, because you right. want those roots to travel through the soil. Especially if you have some clayish type soil. I'm fortunate I have decomposed granite and sandy loam and whatever organic matter I have. But it, there are some spots where I have more clay and then I have to work a little bit harder at that. I would think based on this end of the conversation that when you go to plant a rose and it, by the way, it should be in a sunny area, the sunnier, the better, maybe. But uh, it should be in an area with good drainage. Yes, there's basically four things. you got to have enough space for the size of that rose, and then you need light, soil, and adequate drainage. Mm-hmm. Adequate drainage, very important. So save the low spots for uh, growing your uh, cattails or whatever. Good. That's <laughs> our horse tails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need six to eight hours of sun minimum. Okay. Uh, you can get away with a little bit less for what we call singles. Roses that have maybe six or eight petals to the rose bloom. And they, because it doesn't need as much sun to bloom. Even so, the, like Sally Holmes, is a, it can handle the shade. And it's actually very pretty in the shade because it has a apric- more of an apricot tinge where it's in full sun. It'll, it'll bleach out to white right away. It won't bloom as much in part shade as if it was in full full sun. But either way, it's still gorgeous in part shade. And I that's where I put mine. 
And then we come up to the topic of irrigation. And I bet a lot of people are thinking, well, I'm going to plant my roses on the edge of the lawn. So I'm just going to readjust the lawn sprinklers to hit the roses, too. Not a good idea, probably. No, 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 no. (laughs) If you have to irrigate, I prefer drip because that way the ground gets it. The plants don't get it. If I want to give my roses a shower, I'll do it with my hose. Sometimes we irrigate, especially here in in the West. We, I know I irrigate my grass early in the morning or sometimes late at night. It's damp all night. Roses shouldn't be damp all night. They should be as dry as possible because that's that reduces the amount of any diseases they're going to pick up. In the we have black spot, we have a powdery mildew in some areas where you have more uh, the influence from the from the maritime influence from the sea. You get more powdery mildew, or and that needs a certain cooler temperature and and such. For it to get into the roses and produce some disease issues. So if you can keep your plants dry at night, then it reduces the amount of disease you see on your plants. Exactly. And if you get spray from your sprinklers, even though your lawn sprinklers may not be hitting the roses, it's possible the spray from the water might hit the roses. Just uh, reset your irrigation clock to water later in the morning, but still within the legal parameters of if you have watering restrictions. So if you are allowed to water from midnight to 10 a.m., maybe move that uh, clock to, for the sprinklers to come on at uh, 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. That will allow the uh, roses to dry off uh, with the sun. What, yes, and they like that. That they really th- That's the way they want to be treated. You have a lot of rosarian friends throughout the country. What do your East Coast and, and uh, North State uh, rosarian friends, uh, how do they handle rose planting? Well, they have, uh, depending on where, if you're in the colder parts of the country, their major issue is frost damage and the heating of the rose bushes out of the thing. Um, a lot of them, depending on how be- how much frost they get, some of them will dig tunnels uh, and then lay the rose bushes in the, uh, into the tunnels and then cover them up with straw and such. Uh, some put them in pots and roll them into their warmer garages. There's lots of different ways. But one of the things that is really important is you plant roses that are as cold tolerant for your weather. Or there's some roses that don't do as well. Let's say if you've got more humidity, they're, they are more disease prone. You plant and find those varieties that are best. If you look at the rose catalog, sometimes they say this is only really good for a Western area. That means the Mediterranean climate. And sometimes they'll say this is good for on the East Coast. What the rose breeders and the growers have done, they have test sites. They're located in different parts of the country. So they know how well that rose performs. Some roses perform rather well everywhere but others are they're a little bit more touchy Uh, we're fortunate in our area it's fairly easy to grow roses so yeah we don't have too much of that those kind of pressures but if you are planting um some of the roses let's say in the cold area you let's say you have a rose and if you if it's a grafted rose where you have a different rootstock to the top if you're in a cold area, that bud union, which is where the, the growing portion of it, has to be planted below the soil line. 
because they otherwise it may get damaged. But let's say if you plant a root, a rose that's on its own roots, you don't have to worry about it because mm. if you have a root, it's going to send up anywhere from that. And there's a certain hybridizers that actually hybridize for the cold. There, there's a whole series that's called the Explore Roses. Uh, I think it's a Canadian hybridizer that hybridizers that came up with those. Griffin Buck, one of my favorite roses of his is Distant Drums. It's absolutely stunning. It's a, it's considered a shrub rose, but it looks a lot like a, a hybrid tea. It's mauve to tan, and it has a pink turn. It varies depending on what time of the year it is. And what stage of it's open, it can be um, pinkish tan at the very beginning and then it can end out a pinkish red in the beginning. And then it goes to yellowish tan in the end. It's interesting. There there are so many types of roses. There are at least 6,000 types of roses. So don't ask me to identify a pink rose because unless I've grown it, I probably won't be able to identify it. Well, this is all leading to a very good piece of advice, which is purchase your roses from your local independent nursery because they're the ones that are going to be stocking the roses that do best in your area as opposed to the big box stores that may be getting roses in from some buyer they've never met. So shop local and the chances are that your local independent nursery is going to have the right rose varieties for your locale. I would also like to put in another um, little uh, comment. I find your local Rose Society are the best people to contact and to find out what they really like and what really performs in their local area. Everything when it comes to gardening, what you grow very well in one area and what I grow in my area, let's say the Bay Area versus Sacramento. It's two different microclimates. The roses grow very, very differently. Our roses in the summer are very small compared to their roses in the summer, but they have more disease pressure. But if you, uh, there's a American Rose Society and it's at rose.org. You can put in your, uh, find out where your local Rose Society is. Sometimes it, they have consulting rosarians like myself. I have been to many people's gardens to help them learn about roses. A lot of people subscribe to my newsletter. I have never met them in person. But one of the things that a lot of, and I get copies of newsletters from all over the country, we try to focus in what's going on now. So if you can if you can contact them and learn and maybe subscribe to that, you'll learn what works well in your area. Can anybody subscribe to your Rose newsletter? Sure can. Uh, it's at uh, Sarah Foothills Rose Society org, and you can just send me a note that way. We even have a YouTube channel now. We've been doing some videotaping of uh, pruning, ro- uh, climbing rose, pruning a tree rose. Uh, I'm in that one, <laughs> but um, and this is on uh, on just go to YouTube. Just click, uh, just put in Sierra Foothills Rose Society. Our our YouTube channel will come up. We this year because of COVID and such, lot we couldn't see each other. We shared pictures of our garden, so you get to see a lot of people's gardens. 
we uh, had pictures of different roses that uh, we really liked. So we, and then we had a, one video of red roses. So it was fun. We had a blast. This is what we've been doing besides um, just chit-chatting about roses. We want to share everything. So. There you go. Sierra Foothills Rose Society dot org is the website for Charlotte Owen Dyke's uh, home rose society. You can subscribe to her newsletter from there. But again, makes a lot of sense. Uh, join your local rose society and you'll get a lot of good tips about growing in whatever area you might live in. Oh, we've learned a lot about planting roses today from Charlotte Owen Dyke, Master Rosarian with the Sierra Foothills Rose Society. Charlotte, I hope you have a rosy 2021. I do, too. I'm looking forward. May We may even have a rose show at the end of this year. All right. We all hope so. Yes. <laughs> yes. Take care. And it's been wonderful to be on your podcast. I really like his podcast, guys. Thank you. <laughs> the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode transcripts, links to any products or books or websites mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. Plus, you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. Maybe you could leave an audio question without making a phone call. You can do that at SpeakPipe. That's SpeakPipe.com. It's easy. Give it a try. And you just might hear your voice on the Garden Basics podcast. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, put your question in the ratings and reviews section. You can always text us the question and pictures or use your voice to leave a question at 916-292-8964. That's 916-292-8964. You can always use the good old email, fred at farmerfred.com. That's fred at farmerfred.com. And when you leave a question, be sure to tell us where you're from. That will help us greatly to accurately answer your garden questions, because as you know, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to our social media outlets as well, where you can leave questions or make comments. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And there's a link to the FarmerFred.com website. And thanks for listening. January, February, March, it's bare root fruit tree season at your local nursery. What you'll find usually are sticks about six feet tall. Phil Purcell is with Dave Wilson Nursery. They're a wholesale grower of fruit and nut trees. And he advises you, if you want to keep that fruit within easy reach, when you take that stick home, cut it in half. I'm always amazed at the amount of shock and awe Whenever you're demonstrating uh, to a nursery audience about planting a bare root fruit tree and you take that six foot tall bare stick and you basically cut it back to half to maybe two and a half, three feet tall. Right. By doing that, that's where you want the branching to start. You know, it's you, you can go into, you know, any type of retailer. And they might have a 15-gallon fruit tree there, and it's it looks nice. It has a you know nice tall trunk, and the the head starts up at you know five feet, and you got a big tree there. What people don't understand is that you're not going to be able to harvest fruit off that tree. It looks nice. It almost looks like a shade tree. That's not what you want in a fruit tree. If you ever go and you know to the Central Valley and you look at fruit trees. All the branches start at around you know, two and a half, three feet tall, the main scaffolding, 
because that's where you want the fruit. You want to be able to pick the fruit from the ground. So that's why even though we send our trees and they're six feet tall, we always recommend you got to cut it in half. You, you just you got to start from the basic of keeping the, the tree branch low so that you'll have fruit no taller than six, seven feet going, you know, 10 years from now. That's the way I have them in my own backyard. My trees are 10 years old. and The tallest tree I have is maybe seven feet. I get so much fruit off it. It's, it's unbelievable. We like to highlight a plant of the week here on the Garden Basics podcast, talking about a plant that's widely available throughout much of the United States, a plant that is probably putting on a show this time of year. And ho-ho holly. Holly is such a popular plant throughout the United States. Warren Roberts joins us. He's the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum. Warren, I feel, you know, as a Californian, we, we can plant so much here, but the folks back east and up north have an advantage when it comes to holly, don't they? Yes, many of the hollies really do better with uh, the uh, wetter uh, environment, the, the less alkaline soils. But uh, hollies are pretty adaptable. Uh, we have, of course, the traditional uh, holly, uh, Ilex aquifolium, which is native to Europe. Well, it's native to other places around the Mediterranean, but mainly Europe. And this is the holly of, of the Christmas uh, stories. The English holly. Uh, the English holly, it's called, although it's in native other places um, as well. And interesting, the name Ilex originally referred to the the holly oak. Hmm. So if you're reading Latin and it says Ilex, you're actually reading about an oak, not not what we now call holly. Beautiful uh, bright green leaves, uh, uh, spiny tips on the on the lobes, and uh, it also comes in different uh, fruit color forms, yellow as well. And uh, to have a good berry crop, you need the male and the female plants. Mm. So you've got to have that going on. There's the American holly, Ilex opaca, which is very similar in appearance, but it's a matte green rather than the shiny green. And that one really does better um, in the in areas w- which have a wetter uh, climate and more acidic soils. The Alpine holly, Ilex vomitoria, is uh, an evergreen much used in the, in the southeast U.S., where it's native, and it has uh, red berries. Uh, in California, we use Ilex cornuta a lot. This is the Chinese holly, and it has red berries. And it doesn't. Uh, I think that that particular species has uh, both sexes on it, so you don't have to have the male plants to produce the the uh, berries. I think we better back up, and and because there may be people wondering and asking themselves, did Warren say vomit? Oh, (laughs) I I think you did. I did. Well, Ilex vomitoria is a Yapon holly, and it's called that because in the tradition in some of the Native American uh, uh, populations, to, to do a cleansing in, in uh, <laughs> once a year and make a very, very strong tea out of the, uh, the, the plant. And this would induce uh, nausea. And so that was, that's where the name comes from. Uh, hollies have, have caffeine in them typically. Incidentally, the, there are about 400, about 480 species of holly, most of them tropical. So the ones we're talking about are ones that tolerate cold. Hmm. 
And then I would like to also mention the the deciduous hollies, the uh, possum haw, the, the the shrubs that produce produce their 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 berries when the leaves are missing. I would and so the effect is very striking. It's very beautiful. I think one of those uh, might be uh, also commonly known as the Michigan holly or winterberry, the Ilex yes. uh, verticillata. Yes, the winterberry. And I first saw them visiting Texas, and then occasionally you'll see them in California. But wow, very impressive, and they're colorful uh, because of the colorful berries in wintertime. Quickly mention Ilex paraguariensis, which is a tropical holly native to South America, can be grown in California in mild areas. Lots of red berries. And this, uh, this is the source of yerba mate, which is... Uh, brewed as a tea, particularly typically in Argentina, Uruguay, and uh, southern Brazil. It's very strong. <laughs> you, it will certainly keep you from snoozing. You do, but it uh, won't make you throw up, will it? No, I guess not. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. It's holly, and Ilex is the botanical name, and there is a holly for every taste that will grow in just about every section of the country. So when you visit your favorite nursery and you're looking for a plant that's putting on a show in the middle of winter, look no further than the holly. Warren Roberts, Superintendent Emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum. And for more information about this fabulous uh, botanical showcase, visit their website, arboretum.us. UCDavis.edu. Warren Roberts, thanks for the help on the plant of the week. Thank you very much, Fred. Appreciate it. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's available just about anywhere podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, hey Alexa, play the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, would you please? Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.